0: 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Um, we have gone through five points. Uh, and uh, the plan is to do two more this day and finish off next week. Look at the skepticism. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we come before you the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Father, as uh, we look at this text, Father, may Your Spirit make it alive and real to us. Father, may we drink deep of the overwhelming majesty of You who has called us, You who has claimed us, and You who have cared for us And you who have forgiven more than any of us in this room can imagine. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your mercy and your grace, your provision and your protection. And Father, as we look at this text, even as as a review, Father, may we be overwhelmed by you and you alone. In Christ's name. Amen. The text, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, we've already spent much time on. And we're kind of just doing a summary uh, to kind of bring it all in focus. And I hope that I can fill in some of the cracks that some people may have uh, had. And uh, you'll need to also go stick your finger in uh, Matthew 18, because we will be going back over there again this morning. All right. And what we're doing is we're looking at forgiveness. Forgiveness. All right? I showed you in the weeks past the seven blessings of forgiveness. But I'm wanting to kind of wrap the package now in a, in a thought of the nobility of forgiveness. How noble it is. And, and how, I guess, how peculiar it is in our society today. It, it is a, almost a non-existent entity. Not only is it non-existent... Uh, People prefer to tout vengeance more than forgiveness. Uh, and that is our society. Uh, it is not just destined or directed at the United States, but it goes global. I mean, uh, everybody has been doing it for how long? And, um, and, and we need to be careful about it because you and I, who are called by God's name, um, have a tendency to be unforgiving. Okay. One thing that we know in the nobility of forgiveness, and we've looked at this, is that when we forgive, we are more like God than anything we've ever done. I don't care what it is you do. Second thing is, it is a fulfillment of the attitude of the sixth commandment. Thou shalt not murder. Um, because, I mean, murder basically comes out of a heart of hatred. A heart of hatred is uh, an offense to God. And when we forgive, then we have fulfilled even the attitude of the Sixth Commandment. Thirdly, we need to understand that in the nobility of forgiveness is that if we have been offended, God has been offended more. Uh, You and I may be able to keep track of people who have offended us, who have sinned against us, but when you think about the sins from your conception... To this date that God has accumulated, how great is his forgiveness? All right. Uh, Fourthly, the nobility of forgiveness. Um, We who have been forgiven the greater can forgive the lesser. We have a tendency to think that the sin that is against us is massive when you think about it in light of the sin against God and what you have sinned against God. How massive is that debt and how can we not forgive? Fifthly, uh, the one who does not forgive will not enjoy the love of other Christians. Which took us back to 18 where the, the servant was forgiven the unpayable debt and put his fellow servant in jail for a minor debt. And it says that his fellow slaves went and told his Lord and they forsook him. And, 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 and you and I, th- that is about as practical as you think about it. You've been around those kind of people, those unforgivable, unforgiving people who carry a, a bitterness in their hearts, And they're, they're just so pleasant to hang out with. And, and, and so what you do is you back away from you, withdraw from. And in the case of the church, a person who has an unforgiving heart is to be set outside. It's to be set outside. After the fifth one, that lack of fellowship brings me up to what we are now. Um, we, we looked at the loss of fellowship is what we can 't enjoy right we we don 't have the joy of the saints we don 't have the protective umbrella of the body of christ and 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 that that time of blessing, that time of fruit, that time of Uh, Encouraging one another, stimulating one another to love and good deeds is non existent. And a failure to forgive also results in what I call divine chastening. Okay, now, if you would, please drop over to uh, Matthew 18. We'll pick it up in verse 31. See, it's not just the absence of fellowship, friendship, the encouragement that comes in the body of Christ. But it is also the presence of suffering. (laughs) This too shall pass. But it happens when... you have that bitterness and that unforgiveness that you lose the fellowship of the saints, the joy of being with Christians. But look at verse 32 of Matthew 18. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Here's what happens. The saints, the fellow slaves, had petitioned the Lord saying, this ain't right. And it gets the ear of the Lord, and the Lord says, how is it that you can plead with me for forgiveness of this massive debt, and you can't forgive someone who has a minor debt against you? Read on. should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. All right. Um, God says, I showed you so much mercy, you can't even grasp it. All right, but in the fact that I have shown you this amount of mercy and you have not grasped it. How can you not forgive even though you know you were forgiven? All right, now understand he's got his fellow slave, his fellow brothers. It would be the body of Christ. Remember what the context is for the kingdom of heaven is such as. And then you have this parable. Alright, so you have the saints have drawn against this man. The Lord here is the Lord. And he says, I have forgiven you a debt you can't comprehend. And if you're truly honest with it, the the day that you came to salvation, you didn't really realize the debt you owed. You just needed to be saved, and you knew that. But you had no idea of the depth of that need. How massive was that need of salvation. It says here that his Lord was moved with anger. Did you think about that? Think about that for a second. I've made God mad. That's an interesting concept if you really think about it. You did what? <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing to say, well, I made this person mad. I'm just going to move to another state. There ain't no where you're going to get away from this one at. Here is God with a holy anger. And it's against a sinning saint. Remember, he was forgiven. You know what that makes him? Like you and me. Sinning saint who willfully accept all of God's forgiveness and won't give to anyone else forgiveness. An interesting concept if you think about it. Interesting concept. Um, I, I think as I was growing up, they noted that as a double standard. Okay? Um, I noted as ingratitude. I mean, if you really think about it. Why do we have to teach our kids to say thank you? Right? Don't we? I don't know. You guys didn't. I had to teach my kids, and I still was unsuccessful at it. All right. But they, they're not. I mean, we. But you know what? If you think about it, you and I get into our underwear into a bunch sometimes. Right. Because no one said thank you or that was do me. Why should I thank you for it? But this is very serious. And the Lord. Listen, this is so serious that the Lord has moved to anger. I, that, that is a strange comprehension to me. How would you like to do something as a saint? Now, I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about people who have pleaded for God's forgiveness, and he says it's forgiven. And then do something to make him mad. This anger that the Lord has been moved to, he hands him over. New American Standard translates it torturers. Uh, The King James authorized version calls it tormentors. It literally means those who apply stress, hardship, and difficulties. That's what the word means. So you can call it torturers, you can call it tormentors, or you could call it those people who (laughs) cause difficulties and stress in my life. Basically, it's those who will chasten him. Okay, now read on the rest of this. The Lord was moved to anger and handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. Hmm. All that was owed him. What was owed him? See, now I watch people do some really theological yoga with this text. It's really kind of cool. All right. But you, you just keep thinking. You ever seen them yoga thing where they put their leg up behind, behind their head? What happens when it gets stuck there? It's just an idea. You know, if, if I've got to do yoga on a text, I've probably done something wrong with the text. All right, but I've watched him use this as text and, and I'll give you another one that you can think about. All right, we'll roll this one out. James chapter 2 verse 13 for judgment will be merciless to those who was shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2 verse 13. Okay, so that text in James says judgment will have no mercy on those who show no mercy. Now, James ain't writing to a bunch of pagans. Pagans don't pick up the letter of James and say, Oh, well, see what we're going on here. Okay? Remember your text here in Matthew 18. The kingdom of God is such. Now, I've heard people say, Well, this slave here, the one that had the massive debt, that's one of them tares. That's been sowed into the... with the wheat. That's, that's what that text means. Well, no, because it says God did what? He forgave him the whole debt. Well, what's he supposed to pay back? He has a debt. There is a debt that he now owes to God. This unforgiving brother will satisfy God only... When he forgives. That's the debt. Why? What did he owe God? It isn't that he forgives God. He has to forgive others. He didn't do that. God put him in a place of chastening until he would forgive. Until that time, until that man, that individual comes to the point of forgiveness, he will feel God's chastening. You know the tragedy of this text right here? I see too much of this. I see Christians, many, many, many Christians, who I believe are under God's chastening because of a lack of a forgiving heart. They have been forgiven the major debt. And for whatever reason, they refuse to forgive. I, I, now listen, I know a lot of people who say, Well, I forgive you. Okay? But did you forget it and cast it as far as the east is from the west? Because that's how God forgave you. It gets strange, isn't it? And if you don't, guess where you just stepped into? The tormentors. Those who will cause you difficulties and stress. Now, I know nobody in this room is dealing with any kind of stress. Or probably any difficulties because we are all overwhelmed with our forgiveness. But if you are dealing with an issue or you know somebody who's dealing with issues, there seems to be one difficulty after the next difficulty after one stressful event after the next stressful event and another suffering and another suffering. You might want to look through all of that and see if unforgiveness is at the core of it. Because that's what this text in Matthew 18 is telling you and me. Because you will forsake the fellowship. Which, you know, some people do that willfully. But where are you going to run to to get away from divine chastening? If you're struggling in your life and you're not seeing the hand of God, you're not seeing the blessings of God in your life. Let's say that your life is real painful struggle. It may well be because you have an unforgiving heart. And he will, you know, the writer of Hebrews, he will scourge those that are his children. You know what that means, right? Scourging. And I heard a guy try to tell me one time, well, that means God's going to use his belt on you. And I thought, that's not the word scourge. (laughs) Um, it usually means a a a whip that has multiple leather straps on it, and in the ends of it would be bones or metal flakes or you know whatever they could find as sharp and then they would literally rip the flesh off of you now think about it for a second: God scourges those that are his. Well, I thought we had a loving, gracious Father, and you know, loves me more than He does. But if you really want to see something funny, try to be unforgiving and watch. Life is real painful for you. If it's a real struggle, you don't see the blessings of God. You know what? Maybe I look at your heart. Because. I'm not talking about lip service forgiveness. I'm talking that you have cast it to the depths of the sea. I am talking that it doesn't even cross your mind again. Because if you hang on to it, you keep stirring it up. Is there really forgiveness? No, you just keep playing with it. And I guarantee you you keep well that person you know I forgave him and I'm going to let it go but I guarantee you you are getting ready to start feeding a very large root of bitterness. And I know that a root of bitterness basically comes from an unforgiving heart. Seventh thing. Okay? One who does not forgive. Okay, now I'm looking at the nobility of forgiveness. Okay. Will not be forgiven. You got that? Remember, the man was what? He had this immeasurable debt. 10,000 talents. An amazing debt. And... His Lord said what? You owe interest on the loan? No. You owe nothing. Now then, does God just go back and say, Oh, I've changed my mind. You do owe it. Can anybody give me a text anywhere where God does that? When it comes to... Being justified before God, when did he take it back? Maybe he only took part of it back. No. The man was forgiven everything. See, at the point of salvation, all right, the point of what you would call justification, that point... That man is forgiven at the point of your justification. The moment that Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit invaded your life, you have been forgiven of everything in your past. You have been forgiven of everything in your present and you have been forgiven of everything in your future, period, period. And it was a debt that you and I can't comprehend. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, by the way, they are only forgiven forever. All right. Your life is secure in Christ. Your life is secure in eternity. And there's absolutely nothing can change that. But. I know you guys love it when I do. Here he comes. On the other hand, there is beyond eternal forgiveness. Forgiveness. Well, how far is that? I mean, you got eternal, and you're telling me there's beyond. Yeah, there is. Um, See, eternal forgiveness is is what we call justification. You have been justified before God by the work of Jesus Christ. Okay, there is also temporal forgiveness. Okay, this is what we've been studying on Sunday nights. It is the issue of sanctification. Sanctification. Um, let me see if I can illustrate it. <clears throat> as Christians, as Christians, because this doesn't fit for lost people. As Christians, we can love our wives, we can love our husbands, we can love our children. and if you're tr- now I'm talking about Christians whether it's your wife, your husband, your children, or grandchildren or whatever, it is impossible for them to go beyond the bounds of your love. Okay? What? No, it's impossible. Okay. Your wife or your husband or your children, grandchildren, whatever, they can go beyond the bounds of your will. Right? Has your children ever gone beyond the bounds of your advice? And anybody that says, no, my children never have, is lying. (laughs) Or you don't know your children. (laughs) Okay? But it's possible for your spouse, is it not? To go beyond the bounds of your advice? To go beyond the bounds of your will? But... As a Christian, can they go beyond the bound of your love? In fact, if you think about it, the further that they go beyond our will, uh, the further they go beyond our desire for them, is not the pain deeper? Isn't it? Do you know why? I can tell you why. I just told you. Because of your love. Because of your love. But they can never reach a point beyond that love. It is our love that brings us pain out there. Whether it is our children our spouses, our grandchildren. I don't have any grandchildren. Everybody seems to think I should have some. Those people pain me. (laughs) They never go beyond the love. Because, see, the love of Christ indwells the brother or sister in Christ and it is an unconditional committed love to them. Period. Period. It, it is not only to choose, it is all wrapped up in who I am, who we are, our emotions, you know, that we carry as human beings. It, it, listen, human beings want to be loved. Okay, And human beings want to give love. Even lost people want it. Now, they've corrupted what love is, but they, that is a focus. We want love. We want to love. We want to be loved. But for you and I, and especially for me, I love in some small way with the love of Christ. The love of Christ which is in me. I've not perfected that. Um, sometimes I can't even remember where I put it. But you have what is our nature to love and to be loved. And then you have the pouring of love of God into your hearts to the person of the Holy Spirit. And then we try to walk in that love. See, children go beyond our love. They don't listen to our will. They don't listen to our desires. They don't listen. You know, they my kids get a hold of me when something broke. Hey, Dad, can you fix this? Okay. And uh, you try to advise them. You try to direct them. But I know everybody here has a lot of success. But it still is a frustrating thing. And because of our love for those children, when they are out of our will, they are out of our desires, then greater is that pain. And yet, no matter how far they go away from the things that are personal to us, all they're really going to do is deeply wound us. That's it, people. Um, at Christmas, people ask me, uh, "Well, what do you what do you want for Christmas?" What do you? I have one thing that I only want for Christmas: that my children would have an unwavering love and commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. Well, would you huh? give me that? Because my love is so great, Um, how can your kids get out of your love? It doesn't mean they can't wound you, okay? And I mean, there's times, you know, I've heard that they'll put a dagger in you, all right? Now then I want you to think about that for a second, and then I gotta ask you this question. You got that kind of picture in your mind right now? How much greater would it be of the trueness of God as our Father in heaven? Paul said, I am convinced that there is nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, he goes with height nor depth. But they basically said that the only thing that can separate you and I from God's love has never been created. (laughs) Okay? So how massive is that love? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can never go beyond the limits of God's love. Never get outside of His love. And His love is that... uh, ultimate encompassing that keeps you and me in the kingdom. It's it's like God is telling you and I they will never cease to be my children. They will never cease to be the children of my love. No matter what they do. It's cool, isn't it? But you knew that was coming. They could take themselves not out of the encompassing love, but they could take themselves out of the joy of our relationship. Okay? Now think about it from the father's side. You've moved away from his desires. In our context, it's forgiveness. You've moved away from his will. In our context, is forgiveness. So what you do by refusing to forgive is now you have placed yourself outside of the joy of your relationship with God. You watch a person who has an unforgiving heart, how difficult is it for them to pray? How difficult it is for them to read the book. How difficult is it for them to be around other saints? Why? Because the joy of that relationship has been removed because they refuse to forgive. I mean, you can spot it. Uh, Those are what I call the excuse makers. They have an excuse for everything. I couldn't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't be involved in that, and, and all the rest of it. And you can tell that they're not spending any time on their knees. They're not spending any time in prayer. Listen, if you ever watched your children, when they have moved into afflicting that relationship, whether it is outside of your will, outside of your desires, or whatever it is they did, how bad do they want to see you? Huh? They just knock themselves dead, don't they? I mean, they don't even want to answer the phone. If the, and, you know, one of the banes of society is the collar ID thing. Oh, God, it's dead. <laughs> I'll just act like it ain't working. But that's what they do. You tell me I'm wrong. You watch the relationship, and once there's that offense that is in there, the offender has all of a sudden a deafness. That is amazing. I don't know how to use the phone no more. I don't know how to use email. I don't know. In the age of communications, they for some reason can't get a hold of you. Nor will they respond to your request. Think that ain't true of the Lord? If you have an unforgiving heart, I can guarantee you right now you don't like to spend much time talking to him. And I definitely know you don't want to hear what he's got to say because this book, 66 books, is based on forgiveness. <laughs> I mean, you can't read this book and not be convicted that you're unforgiving. See, you have the eternal forgiveness. That's salvation. And it's wrapped up in the doctrine of quote-unquote justification. Okay? And you have temporal forgiveness, the day-to-day That is wrapped up in the doctrine of sanctification, holy living, holy living. So in a general sense, my sins are all forgiven. Okay, I've got sins that have been forgiven that I haven't even committed yet. Okay. Yet, as I live my life, you know, the day in, day out grind, if I don't forgive others... Scripture says, God doesn't forgive me. Well, I'm just not sure. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 14. Now, do you understand... This is part of what is called the uh, Sermon on the Mount... His disciples have asked Him how how to pray. (coughs) And He concludes with this thought. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. How would you like to interpret that? Mark chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 makes the same statement. If you don't forgive others, I'm not going to forgive you. I mean, I'm I'm not a theologian, but that seems pretty clear cut to me. (laughs) If we make an issue that this is salvation, then salvation comes when you forgive someone else's sin. You know what they call that where I grew up? Works. I was pretty much convinced that you were saved by faith through grace. If I forgive you, I'm going to be saved? I don't think so. It's not possible, to be honest with you. (laughs) See, he's not talking about salvation. See, salvation is forgiveness based on justification. Here's what he's talking about is related to sanctification. It, 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 this has nothing to do with future blessings, has nothing to do um, with are you going to get saved or anything like that. You're already saved. But what he's talking about is your present condition with him now. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in this text. And he says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors. When you pray, forgive us as part of how you should pray. Forgive me, Lord. This has been another bungled day for me. But Lord, let me forgive those who caused my day to be bungled. <laughs> If we do not do that, guess what? There's no forgiveness. I don't know about you, uh, but I don't want to be living without God's forgiveness at this moment. Yes, I know that my salvation is absolutely secure, but I also know that I have some days left in my life, I hope, at least two, I'd like to see summer come. <laughs> and I would like to see His hand of blessing upon me of every step I take for the rest of my days. I don't want to be accumulating a temporal debt of sin against God. I don't want to be like First John says to be ashamed at His appearing. See, it's not the loss of salvation. All right. I couldn't do nothing to get me saved anyway. You couldn't do anything to get you saved. Right. So that's a that's a given. Here we are saved. But I don't want to lose the blessing. Okay. Blessing. Um, I don't want to lose my joy. I don't want to lose my Peace. I don't want to lose the power of God in my life. I see so many people in the body of Christ today who are moving to quote-unquote accomplishment without the power of God. And I know why they're doing it. They have an unforgiving heart. He doesn't work there. How in the world can a forgiving God bless someone who's unforgiving? How in the world can God bestow his peace? I'm I'm not talking peace with God. I'm talking the peace of God. How can he give that to a person who's unforgiving? And I see these people all the time who have no joy. I'm not talking about happy, silly, silly, go to a comedian. I'm talking about people who walk through this life with a focus that is in the heavenlies as they take a walk on the temporals. And you can't move them. Like that song, see me tonight with an illegal smile. Okay, and everybody says, well, that's about drugs. No, it isn't. It's about those people who get around other people that are annoying and they just check out. I'm sitting there. I'm looking at you. I'm looking like I'm attentive. I have a grin on my face, but my mind is in my little happy place. You know what? And if you start thinking about who is Christ and what is deserving of you, I mean, the only thing you really deserve is eternal damnation. That's what you deserve. So anything above that does what? That's blessing. And yet I watch Christians become stagnant in their walk because they become unforgiving. It ain't going to do anything. It's no different than Israel. circle Mount Sinai. Forty years. What are you doing? Wasting time. Do you live with a life of joy? Do you live with a life of peace? Do you live with God's power in your life? Listen, I as a pastor deal with this a bunch. I made a statement this morning in our Sunday school class. There's two issues that you will deal with consistently, period. There's only two. Okay, now they'll manifest themselves in odd ways, but here's the two, unforgiveness and pride. And if you really think about it, where does unforgiveness come from? Pride. And I watch people who want to get into these great theological debates, and I watch it, and I think, you know what, you're deflecting the thing. The problem here is you're unforgiving. The problem here is you're boastful. Have you ever seen those Christians who are empty? dry, joyless, powerless. I know you guys haven't seen any. Somebody lets him in my office on a regular basis. Oh, that's probably not the appropriate thing to say here. I ain't going in his office. (laughs) He'll think I'm dry, empty, and joyless. (laughs) Where's the forgiveness to others? Why in the world? Let me ask you a question. I get people who say, well... You know, I've got to, you know, they've got to be tormented enough that they're ready for my forgiveness. Really? Is that how God saved you? Anybody here, and I'm really guilty of this, but anybody here step into what I call ignorance of penitence? Okay? All I knew is I needed to be saved. And I knew that I was kind of like my own worst enemy. All right. And then as God unveiled himself in my heart, I started realizing, why in the world would you have saved me? I mean, I, I think it was Martin Luther called it worm theology. OK, and, and that's what you and I do, but we will get saved. We never look and say, well, what was the depth of what I got saved from? Really? I can tell you what it was. Pride your pride and there's a tragedy in the body of Christ today and it's a lack of forgiveness and yet forgiveness is the most liberating thing to give uh if nothing else it frees god to forgive me or to forgive you and to put you back in the place and 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 I want you to think about this for a second. I'm just going to close with this thought. I'm just going to close it with this. Jesus speaking in John's gospel says, Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. What is that? What is that? Let me ask you a question. The abundancy that you're looking for in life, is it based on your powers and abilities or is it based on God's powers and abilities? You better think about that one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you've brought us this far in understanding forgiveness. And uh, Father, may we continue to stay in a place overwhelming. May we see, Lord, that you will not forgive your saints who do not forgive even to the point father you'll put us in the hands of tormentors father as you have forgiven us may we forgive those who would offend us knowing that that sin that is against us is greater against you father help us help us to walk worthy of this calling help us to walk in life abundantly in your power and your joy and in your grace and your mercy and your peace thank you father thank you lord for fathers and lord may we who are fathers bow before the king of kings and lord of lords to be the godly men the godly fathers that you have set the example before us. To you and you alone, Father, in Christ's name, amen.